Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're speaking today with the director of Finding Your Feet, Richard Longrain. Richard, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know the story uh, behind Finding Your Feet uh, was written um, by uh, Nick Moorcroft and Meg Leonard. Uh, where did you come into the project for Finding Your Feet? Well, pretty early on, a couple of years ago. Um, as you know, independent films, well, all films take a long while to, to, to um, gestation period, and this was no exception. Um, Nick and Meg and I share the same agent, Jenny Catherotto, in London. And um, Jenny introduced me to them and said they had a project that sounded interesting, and we met. And I not only did I think the script had a lot of potential, but also I thought they were um, they're young and energetic and seemed very open to uh, to my thoughts on the film. Which is, you know, uh, the thing about making movies is you, if it's with people you don't know, you, you, we all we all talk uh, talk the talk when we're having a, a drink together in a bar or a cup of tea. But it's when you're under fire that that the shit really hits the fan or doesn't hit the fan as the case may be and i felt that they were you know collaborative people and they turned out to be so and i enjoyed the process of working with them very much in a manner of speaking finding your feet is a comedy with drama how would you characterize it is a drama with comedy or no really i mean it's i hate the i hate the the term dramedy and all those things yeah i mean uh it's hard to it's it is I guess it's a drama, but it's a drama with a lot of humour. It metamorphosizes a bit as a movie. It starts off, I think, more comedic uh, than it than it ends. Yeah. It, it changes its quality halfway through or somewhere in the middle. Um, and I, I think perhaps that's a, if the film has a strength, it's that the characters creep up on you. By the time uh, there's some pretty sort of important things that happen in the in the third act, and yeah. by the time that occurs, I think you're pretty convinced that these people exist in real life, as it were. You know, they're characters you care about. And for me, movies really, unless they are just a canvas for special effects and art direction, which is fine, but if they're not that, and if they're, they're meant, you're meant to care about the people's lives and what happens to them, then uh, you need to um, you need to create a, a world in which they they can exist and the, the actors i had were were wonderful at doing that they are you have just a terrific cast and we're going to get to that in just a minute but i read somewhere where the film in its initial uh, stages of actually doing the film taping the film uh it started out as a little more of a broader comedy and as somewhere in the few, first few days you were you were saying that you Tell us a little bit about this, sort of how it changed yes, once I, you I got think when, I think we all thought we were making, including me, that we were making a broader comedy. Uh, there were a lot more one-liners in the script than in the final film. Um, and as you know, those are very dangerous things, because if they don't work, you know, they sit like a, a rotten tomato mm-hmm. right in front of you. So when we, we were lucky in that we shot the film initially in continuity. So the beginning of the movie, we shot at the beginning, the first two or three days of... Of shooting, and I think I realised myself very early on that, that that level of comedy was probably not appropriate, and so we started to rein back on the comedy and make it more bedded in reality and not trying for laughs as much. 
uh, and I think that was the right decision. Um, and also then in the editing, I had a very tough editor, a very strong editor called Johnny Dawkins, who was ruthless uh, in terms of saying, this is just not funny, it has to go, and it went. And uh, he was a great foil um, to work with because I had someone to fight with in the nicest sense of the word. You know, we discussed stuff and we disagreed, and, and uh, I have to say uh, he was largely right about what he thought should go and what should stay. But the film certainly evolved from a broader comedy into a, a more serious piece. So there was still some good laughs in oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a testament as well to your cast, be able to, I'm sure you had a, a, a bit of a sit down and sort of in terms of how you were, you, your vision may have slightly altered in the course of the first couple of days. So you've got these amazing professionals working with you on, on set. So uh, it, it works. It works really well. And I guess I would right. characterize the film as, as uh, a film with a lot of heart. Now, That's nice and, yeah, yeah, and, I think it does. And that it translates into comedy and drama, but throughout the film, it's very, it feels very heartfelt. And, and I think that's, a, again, one of those things about it that makes it, that makes it work. Um, it's a film that is about older people, but I never had the impression that it was about age-specific. No, I guess it's because I'm 72 this year. And so they, and you know, when you're whatever age you are, you feel that's the age that, you know, when I guess someone says, how old do you think I am? I'm always about 20 years wrong because I can't imagine anyone that I'm having an intelligent conversation with isn't, you know, is 30, 40, no, that sounds rude, I don't mean it that way, is 40 <laughs> years younger than me. I, I think people that I get on with are my contemporaries and I find often they're not um, because age is such a, you know, age is such a, a complex thing you know my my back hurts in the mornings no question but my brain doesn't hurt any more now than it did when i was 25 it doesn't feel like it so um i, I hopefully we didn't play the age game uh too much it certainly was the film was is aimed at women i guess women the audience that the key audience would be women over 45 50 but it seems to play in all the research screens we've had um, men of the same age like it actually slightly more, a, a couple of points more, and young people don't go, well, why did they drag me along to that? So mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't, you know, if the film crossed over to a younger audience, I would be absolutely amazed and pleased, but um, it seems to, to, ca to cross over a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Richard Lundcrane. He's the director of the film Finding Your Feet. It's out in theaters today here in Los Angeles. Look for it. Uh, it's a wonderful, it's just, a, again, it's a very heartfelt film. It's funny, great acting. And let's talk a little bit about the casting of the film. Uh, Imelda Staunton, um, Tim Spall, Celia Emery, uh, and John Sessions and Joanna Lumley. I, I left out David Heyman as well. It's a really really good cast of actors uh at what level of uh involvement were you in the casting i assume you had a big voice in this uh tell me a little bit about that well yeah i'm afraid that's one of the deal breakers for me in a movie i i won't i mean i'll just obviously i'll discuss anything with the producers and and the team but in the end it has to be my call because that's what directing's about really i mean when you get to i guess in big studio movies uh, it isn't necessarily, you know, as a director, you're often not the, unless you're a mega star and a, a major element, you're not top of the pecking, uh, pecking list. But uh, casting's crucial to me, and I've worked with a wonderful casting director called Irene Lamb, who started, she did the very first Star Wars, so she's been around like me a long time. Wow. Uh, but we have a great relationship, and she, uh, 
she, I always start with a very clean slate. My wife uh, says I'm terrible with names. I have to kind of, my children have to remind me of their names <laughs> occasionally, and I've got quite a lot of them, but uh, I, I can be quite forgetful. So when I start a movie, uh, the canvas is very clean for me. I mean, of course, I know who major actors are, but I always go back to the drawing board and look at their work in relationship to the part they're being asked to play, because uh, Paul Newman, I think, is the man who once said that actors are like onions. You know, there are so many skins on an onion but if you haven't got the right onion, then, you know, you, you, you need to move on uh, because not every actor can play every part. And casting against people, we started actually with Celia Imrie as a piece of casting. I'd worked with Celia on The Gathering Storm with Albert Finney some years before and felt she could carry a movie, as indeed she's proved she can. Uh, so we cast Celia first and then Imelda and then Tim against, uh, against those two, knowing that Imelda and he were going to be... Um, uh, involved uh, in a relationship mm -hmm. so um casting is crucial and um you know I, I couldn't do it without the help of irene and and other great casting directors that i've worked with particularly children finding the little boy that she irene found for me uh you know is because you can't really you know a, a child all you can do is create a world in which they feel comfortable and 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 happy and hope that they their timing is good and uh we were very lucky with a young man who who played um, little boy in our film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I, I, every, I it, it, there there are characters while they have a, a depth to their characters, there's an arc to their individual stories. Um, they're just very comfortable. They feel comfortable in their role. I don't know how they, if that translates into anything I think cinematic. It's a, a very good point you've made. I think. To me, my definition of a good actor is they make you feel comfortable. And I think my definition of a bad actor is, and not, every, not the audience wouldn't probably put this into words, but you, you're worried that they're going to mess up at any moment. <laughs> you're nervous that they're going to get it wrong. And you, the audience, I think, sn smells this on a bad actor. Uh, and, and great actors, you just feel you're in a safe pair of hands, as indeed you are. You know, I, I, there's not a lot of... When you're directing actors of the caliber that I've had the fortune to work with most of my life, really, all of my working life, you don't do a lot. You, 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 you get a great script, you treat them well, you create an environment which they're comfortable and, and relaxed, and you nudge them. You just nudge them. Uh, you, you, can't, you, you can't read lines for them or they'll walk off set. You, have to, you, know, you can't say, read it like this. Uh, you, they would be, that would be, you know, that's one of the arch crimes of directing. So you have to let them find their own way. Uh, and that's the delight for me of directing actors. There's always something to do on set. You're never sitting around bored like you can be on a special effects movie because really once you've said what you want the spaceship to do, you have to walk away for six weeks while they do it. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right about this sort of, uh, you know, absolutely anxiety about watching somebody's performance is a de it's a deal breaker if, if you're in a in the audience and you're watching that happen it is so it's a tough thing to watch it uh, is. Yeah, even worse in theater i think when it goes wrong yeah well I, let's talk uh it's specifics here uh Imelda Staunton plays the uh, Lady Sandra Abbott, and she is, finds out something about her husband of 40 years uh, in the midst of all of this. Uh, one of the things that's so wonderful about her performance, truly, is that the arc, the, her very subtle change. She starts as a, out as not the most likable of people, bit prickly, as they might say, and, uh, and over time, in a very understated sort of way, we see a difference in the way that she is 
and especially in relation to her sister, who's Biff mm. in the film. But a little bit about that performance, because it really is kind of special to watch uh, as someone in an un... Uh, in subtle ways, to be able to change that. Yes, I, I, you're right. It, it's a remarkable change. I think the only comparison I can think of is I did a film called Richard III with Ian McKellen some years ago, uh, set in the 1930s, the Shakespeare play. And um, there's a scene with Lady Anne where she's in the mortuary uh, in our film. It was actually her husband's body on the slab. In, I think in Shakespeare's play, it's his, her second cousin or something quite bizarre. And Richard III comes in, who murdered this person on the, who, in our case, was her husband. It's often changed. It's not just us doing it. It's often changed in place. Um, and, you know, he comes in and, and uh, you know, she wants to kill him. And by the end of the play, he's asked her out to, for dinner and she's agreed. The end of the, of the, of the act, rather, yeah. of the scene. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to, when you watch it. It's a wonderful writing, of course, by Shakespeare. The transition is very skillfully done. And I think in that particular play, it happens when she spits at him, when he, she... She spits at his face, and so she puts herself at a disadvantage. She suddenly takes the back step, and from that point on in, in Shakespeare's play, he becomes to do, starts to dominate the scene. And I think it, with Imelda, uh, there's a point really, I think when she's in the bath and she's, she's been rude to everybody, and her sister finally explodes and tells her she's a rude cow, and there's a point where she... She starts to change, but you don't really see the mechanics of it. She very subtly, because she goes back, so she starts to be nice, and then she'll get cocky again, and then she'll be a bit nicer. So um, it's all down to the skill of Imelda, really, how uh, that transition works. But by the end of the movie, you do you care about her. She's you know she's the one that you you want to, you're rooting for at the end of the film. I think. Yes, you are, and 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 you also have uh, playing off of. Uh, Imelda is Celia Embry, who is her sister, who has the uh, she's the free spirit in the family, and uh, Lady Abbott is much more um, controlled and uh, sure. tightly wound and all that. But again, you know, we see this kind of a dynamic in a lot of films. But I just was so taken with Cecilia's performance. I really, I, I for me. I just uh, because sometimes the people will overplay uh, that that free spirit character. Mm. And, and, you know, there are certain films you see, and it's just they sort of telegraph everything that's weird and bizarre about the way they are. Not with Cecilia. I, with not with Celia. I thought she just was really wonderful in this film. Um, uh, and that dynamic of the sisters. Uh, they did. Well, they're, they're old friends. They 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 started in vaudeville together when they were in their teens, you know, in, uh, in, in the rural rep theater around the country. Oh. So they've known each other for 40 or so years. So okay. there is a, you know, a body of experience which allowed them. And Tim was at, at drama school. Tim Spall was at drama school with Imelda. Oh. Um, so there was a, it wasn't hard for them to create a familiarity which was, was necessary for the film. Of course, that doesn't always work. You know, the, some of the great examples of cinematic relationships have been actors who hated each other on uh, off the set but their chemistry um uh, on set was 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 there um and i this in this case they were they are friends in real life and i think that that helped but there's no guarantees you know you it, when you step out uh, into the dark on the first day of a movie you have no real idea whether it's going to gel or not you just don't and uh, that's part of the excitement and also part of the fear I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Richard Lundgren, uh, the director of the film 
Finding Your Feet, and it's opening today here in Los Angeles, uh, as well as around the country. You can go to findingyourfeetfilm.com to find out more about the film and where it's screening, so check it out that way. Uh, In the last couple of minutes, um, I just want to touch on a couple of other themes that I found in the film uh, about falling in love. Uh, the ageless idea of falling in love. And in this film, uh, we have Tim Spall, who is, as once again, one of the really, truly wonderful actors working today. I just find his work to be outstanding in everything I've ever seen him in, including Me Mr. Too. Turner, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, tell, um, falling in love. There's, it knows no bounds. It knows no uh, time of life. And I think that's another thing that gives this film so much heart. Um, I don't even know if I have a question here. I just wanted to make sure that... Well, it's nice that yeah. you say that. I think, they, I think there's a scene for me where they... Because they hate each other when they first meet, but yeah. my wife hated me. I think perhaps she still does 30 <laughs> years later, but she certainly didn't like me when I met her in New York some 35 years ago. Um, and in our film, you know, because that is true, often people who end up together do not get on when they first meet, and she certainly doesn't get on with Tim Spall, and he, nor he with her. But there's a scene where they're dancing together, where they're forced to, in a dance class, they're, they're told to dance. Yeah. And it, it's a very short scene. I wish actually it had been a bit longer, but the skill of watching, there's no dialogue in it, it's just the two of them dancing. But as you know, ballroom dancing, I think they're doing a, a tango, I think it is. Mm-hmm. They, there's something about the fact that when they're in harmony, when their bodies and their legs and their arms and, and their, are moving in, in harmony, in sympathy with the music, in sync with the music, suddenly things, the dynamic change, and you watch their faces, and it's wonderful to see at the end of it, they don't exactly smile at each other. It's the tiniest hint of, well, that was okay, wasn't it? And then she walks off, and you're left on Tim's bald face, and he, I think it's one of the best looks I've seen an actor do for many years. He tells you everything, his surprise, his shock, that he suddenly feels differently about her, his excitement. It's like watching a teenage a boy, you know, a, a teenage couple falling in love. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. There is something about their chemistry which is really quite special. It is. It's a special film, uh, and uh, I... Thank you so much uh, for for spending time with us today to talk about Finding Your Feet. It is... Uh, Great pleasure. Yes, as well. And um, all the best to you. I, I hope uh, you've got other projects in the works or are working towards uh, some more film. I know you've done some TV work as well. I know you did some A HBO. lot of HBO. HBO over the yeah. years have, have given me some great stuff to do, and, and uh, I enjoy working in television. It's... Uh, it's where some of the great writers are working today. Boy, is it not feel like uh, there's sort of been a seismic shift in the perception, yep. certainly, of what constitutes uh, how to how to uh, practice your craft in terms of film yep. and TV. It really has elevated Absolutely. its game. No, it's a very exciting time, I think, for filmmakers. Well, congratulations on this, and uh, we all Thank look you. forward to your, your future work. Uh, once again, uh, Richard Lundgren, the director of Finding Your Feet. Thank you, Richard. Thank you again. You have a good day. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.